Good evening, everybody. How's everyone doing? Good evening. I'm all right, Mike. I'm very well. Have you had a good week? All very good. Yeah, all good. And is fully recovered. Um, sorry, burnt myself. Don't pick up hot things, kids. You'll end up in A and E. It's a bad idea. Um, <laughs> my little life story oh, this no. week. Oh no! Is that what happened this week? <laughs> yeah, Sunday night, any burnt hand. All better now, but yeah, it was very painful at the time. Um, I'll whinge about it or anything like that. <laughs> you know, yeah, don't want to talk about it, but you know, I was real brave. <laughs> that would took you all of fifteen seconds to mention, Mike. <laughs> well pointed out. But he doesn't want to talk about it. <laughs> Speaking of not wanting to talk about it, uh, we have a guest with us this evening, uh, Mr. Barry Doherty, uh, a very close friend of mine. Uh, finally got him on a Sport 101 uh, show, podcast, anything. Um, super excited to have you here. Um, for those out there, who are you and why are you here? That's you, Joe. Oh, that's me. Sorry, you'll have to excuse. Like, I don't get out living in Midwest Wales, and the signal is really dodgy here. So, I'm just putting that as a disclaimer right now. Um, so, yeah, I've been a friend of Mike's for probably eleven to twelve years, and Mike's been through a journey with me for seven of those years, which was a build-up to going to Antarctica and being the first scout in the world to ski to the South Pole and kite ski back, which was a 66-day expedition covering 2,045 kilometres, battling winds of 80 miles per hour, minus 50 degrees, and carrying or dragging a sled that weighed 200 kilograms most of the way there and then kite skiing back using the power of the wind, which was fantastic. And how I went through so many failures well, to be precise, 2,996 failures in terms of trying to get sponsorship to go and fund an £80,000 expedition uh, as well. So I failed a lot in the process of doing something like that. But, yeah, that's me in a nutshell. <laughs> I love the fact that you were just, oh, just the 2,900 failures trying to get the sponsorship. I remember those days where you were like, still haven't got any money, still don't have any money, still don't have any money. Still need to try and find some up until yeah. up to three months before you needed it, two months before you needed yeah. it. Yeah, three months before I was, I had 10,000 pounds out of the 80, and everybody <laughs> around me was saying, like, you need to be realistic now, Joe, because this might not happen. But I said, I've got nothing to lose, I've, I've got to give it my all, and it will happen last minute. And I can't give up faith now, I can only fail once it's over, and it wasn't over. And Within the space of three months and two days, I managed to find seventy thousand pounds to go. So on the two thousand nine hundred ninety ninth attempt, it worked, um, and yeah, and I was fortunate enough to go. That's mad. Um, it was incredibly stressful, like incredibly stressful. Like my girlfriend and my family just saw me constantly on the phone to sponsors i was driving up and down the country in my little course one liter that was about to fall apart and die at any point but i didn't have the money to upgrade it because i needed to save my money for the expedition um going to air shows military shows going to business meetings like uh network sessions just to try and find that kind of money but 
Uh, and I learned a lot along that journey. And, you know, you have to put in that kind of hard work if you want to go and do something like that because it's a serious amount of money. But, yeah, it led me to what I did in the end. So you were training the whole time and you didn't know if you were going to go? Yeah, like in 2011, we coined the idea of me and the team of eight people of skiing to the South Pole and kite skiing back because no scouts had ever done that. Scouts have been to the pole, but no one had ever been there and back. And it turns out I'm the 14th person in the world to have ever done that and the first person in the world to have done the route we did, mainly because we got blown off course, but that's the story for later on. Um, and, uh, <laughs> <a joke> <laughs> and, uh, uh, yeah, so at seven years prior to going, I couldn't even ski. I'd never skied in my life. So I didn't know. I've been in cold temperatures before, like maybe minus 20 in Scotland, um, up in the Cairngorms, but I'd never skied. I certainly couldn't fly a kite, um, let alone kite ski. I had no idea what I was doing. None of us did. Um, and, we would go away every year somewhere. We would go like to the Alps. So Austrian Alps, French Alps, Swiss Alps. Then we would go to places like Norway, Stavanger, or we would go north like, uh, Bergen. Or we would go, uh, right into Hardangavida, which is one of the biggest sort of national parks, which is really high up and big frozen terrain. And then eventually I went to Antarctica. Um, so yeah, we trained for, a long time just to get ready because we all had full-time jobs we had other commitments and things like that and it's not something you can quickly learn what you can but it costs you a lot of money and time and that's not something we had as 18 year olds when we started it so well, I think the... contest sorry no i was just gonna say the parallels to sort of training for the summer at the moment quite similar to how you would you didn't even know if you're going to go, but you just had to keep training. How did you? Yeah. What was your mindset? Uh, um, I think my mindset was most of the time was I'm going to go and I've got to be ready to go. Like I can't um, think, oh, I might not go, so it's not worth me training. I've got to train and be ready to go at any moment and. I just tried to convince myself and envision. Uh, I'm always quite good at envisioning what something might look like. So I might be thinking, oh, what's it going to look like me standing at the South Pole? What's it going to look like me getting on the plane from Heathrow going to uh, South America to get to Antarctica? What's it going to look like when I get the money? Like I envision it. So because I'm a firm believer, if you think something enough, if you believe it enough, you mm -hmm. will subconsciously make it happen that might mean that your brain start thinking about things uh that might otherwise be occupied with what's on telly tonight or what's on netflix later you know it's just in the subconscious you you think about it so it becomes an unconscious thought that drives you from within and that's what like carried me on yeah don't get me wrong i doubted myself a lot i was worried a lot i was uh questioning myself a lot and I think you need that aspect of it. Like when I was training, sometimes like, oh, I'm not fit enough today. Or like today I feel really weak. I don't feel strong enough. I feel like I'm never going to be able to drag a 200 kilogram pole or what have you. Some days you go worse than the day you did before. You real dip in your performance. But that's natural and that's human. And it's learning to roll with that is important and not be um, 
dismayed by it. The oh no, I can't do it now and give up at the first hurdle. Because if you ask, I think if you ask anybody that's done something that is deemed successful or they feel successful, they will tell you there have been so many failures before they reached that success, and that's an absolute necessary part of it. So what kept you going when you're looking at that journey, that seven years when the outcome's sort of un- uncertain? You don't know if you're going to go with the money and the rest of it, and you, you, it's sort of ambiguous, and it's like you're looking off and it's grey almost in front of you. Did you? Was it the, the goal of achieving the expedition that motivated you, that was your guiding light, or did you break it down into like little processy things along the way of, I want to be better at kite skiing, I want to build my fitness levels to the point where I know I can deal with the cold and deal with the the, the mileage and that sort of stuff what kept you going what what was the the main motivating factor for you um i think it was a combination of those two things plus another thing for me which was just having fun so yeah. i think you're going to be good at anything if you're having fun with it so if training doesn't become fun anymore don't get me wrong some days are not fun training or trying to find money for an exhibition etc but if 90% of the time you're loving what you're doing, then you're going to do well in it. And I couldn't just be focused on the end goal. Like you said, Andrew, it's just like if you break it down into small chunks, it's more manageable and there's more excitement in it. So I would be thinking, oh, can't wait to go to the Swiss Alps. I'm really looking forward to learning how to ski, which sounds mad saying that, but that was literally like I was looking forward to being able to ski down the blue run. And if people do ski, that was my level of excitement. That's all I could focus on. I couldn't ski a black run at all. I still question. Joe was not a skier when he started this at all. No, not at all. Um, And then that trip will be really successful. And then be the next trip, right? I'm really looking forward to learning how to manage my body at minus 40 or what clothing works for me, what doesn't, what pace I need to set. How do I... Uh, take a bearing and a complete whiteout where you can't see up or down, left or right in the snow, and there's nothing, just white fog. How do I successfully navigate in that? And then you feel confident. And looking back at things, and because uh, sometimes people will be, uh, you'll cross things off lists or delete it off your notes on your phone, and you've got a couple of things left to do, but you forget what you have done, the whole list you have deleted, and that can be just as important looking back and going, oh, yeah, I have learned how to do this. I have learned how to do that. I have tested myself here. I have pushed myself here. And you look back at that and go, wow, that that was an accomplishment in its own right, rather than just going, oh, I've got another, these last three things to do. Sometimes it's very easy to forget what you have learned, if that makes sense. So, yeah, yeah, combination of having fun, breaking it down to small bits, and obviously the penultimate goal that you're working towards. Wow. So how did um, you spoke about breaking it down into smaller chunks? I'm guessing it's very difficult to like make any kind of training representative of the entire task that you were doing, which is like the entire expedition. So how focused did you have to be on um, with planning your training going, I need to, I need these skills and here's how I'm going to get these skills. Here's what I've got to do to expose myself to it. So like from a training planning perspective, how difficult was it to make sure you went in completely ready? Yeah, I think that's um, that's a tricky question because it's not um, – I think it is and it isn't relatable to hockey 
it or any sport in that like you're not trying to be competitively better than someone else in terms of you're not trying to beat an opponent the opponent is the environment and what it's going to do to you and rather than the opponent's going to be outskilling you or be more physical physically tough than you or stronger than you in in a game or score more points than you that uh, environment Antarctica is just going to try and beat the hell out of you and it's going to try and kill you and it's going to try and bore you and make you feel like you cannot accomplish it. So I guess in hockey, you're looking at being better with your skill. You're looking better at being better in your tactics and your physical condition. Well, with Antarctica, it was being technically sound in terms of navigating, um, being able to ski efficiently, being able to kite ski efficiently, that sort of thing. Uh, but then the other side of it was being physically strong enough to deal with it. But the biggest aspect was the mental toughness. That was the hardest thing to try and quantify. Was I mentally strong enough or not? And there is no gauge on that unless you start comparing yourself to other people or being confident in yourself. You know, like the technical aspects of it were relatively straightforward in terms of learn the skill, repeat, 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 till it becomes uh, not even something I have to think about. You know, I'm sure if I picked up a a tennis, what do you, is it a tennis club or hockey no. stick? Hockey, hockey stick. Stick. <laughs> stick, there we go. That's how out of touch I with hockey I am. Sorry, you have to excuse me, one-on-one fans. A hockey stick. <laughs> if I picked up a hockey stick now and tried to dribble the ball, It'd be a nightmare. But for all three of you, I'm sure it'd be an unconscious thought. For me, kite skiing, completely unconscious. I just get up and go. I don't even have to think about it. I can think about something else other than the kite skiing. That technical aspect, just that just comes with time. And that's something that I'll touch on later is just time and repetition and accepting that. Um, the physical strength, yeah, I need to be this strong. So I need to be able to drag a polk this far for this many days. So that was a case of setting out a training plan in terms of, right, I need to be this fit. I'm at, this is my baseline at the moment. This is where I want to be. How am I going to get there? How much rest do I need? Who do I need to talk to? Um, so I figured all that out and got a lot of help from the University of Southampton um, or Solent University. They helped massively in terms of my physical training. I start, I ran a marathon dragging a car tyre. I actually ran an ultra marathon. I don't know how to talk about it. And then I did three <laughs> marathons back to back just to get that endurance aspect and that get up like, oh, I'm aching, but I need to get up and run another marathon. But they were all ultra marathons. I don't know how to talk about that. And then we went and did loads of things like that just to get that physical endurance. But then the mental toughness, that was a constant challenge. on that, Joe, just before, because I think the mental toughness bit is a really interesting bit. I've got a question come through, um, and it's about the kite skiing. And I think I just want to let's round, I just want to round this off before we go into that. Um, it's from Jess Beach. Where did you practice kite skiing and how did you learn to be efficient in it? Because I think that's part of it. Like, it's one learning how to do these skills, and like Gibbo was saying, like, how do you break it down? Like, how do you learn how to? kite ski like that's not uh that's not something you can just go and do like how did you learn that yeah yeah no worries so i guess i would compare it to windsurfing so people who windsurf might just learn how to windsurf straight away but you're trying to learn two skills at once balancing on the board and sailing 
Whereas you could learn to surf and you could learn to sail. Then when you amalgamate the two, you understand both principles. So you're not having to think about two halves of your brain working on two separate skills. So I learned to ski first so that the skiing became an unconscious sport for me. I could just ski on relatively easy ground, not have to worry about it. So then when I was put on flat ground, learning to kite ski, I didn't have to think about the ski. I just had to think about what the kite was doing in the air. So before I went kite skiing, I learned how to ski. I went on a couple of um, surf, uh, went down to Calshot Spit and learned how to control a kite, but on the ground. So I understand that sailing aspect of it. From my background being in the outdoor industry, I understand the power of the wind, the direction of the wind, how it affects the sail, because I do sail boats in my own time as well. Um, but, oh, me. So I do understand all of that sort of side of it. Um, and sorry, I got really bad gas reflux from Antarctica as well. That's a totally different story. That's really messed up my body big time. Um, nice. And, nice. And um, what I did then was once I was comfortable with those two aspects, we went to Norway for a month and we just kite skied. We got an instructor to show us how to do it. He showed us for five days how to do it. So we learned very much a crash course. And from then, I repeated it for another two weeks solid, just kite skied every single day, uphill, downhill, traversing the whole lot, big kites, small kites, fat skis, fin skis, all the different variables, then dragging a polk behind me, building and building and building up over that month period till I was pretty confident that I was efficient at it. And being efficient in kite skiing, it means you are, when you ski, you typically get very sore thighs um or sore cast because your muscles are working you can't afford to do that for 10 hours of the day kite skiing when you're dragging a 200 kilogram polk you need to be resting on your skeletal system rather than your muscular system so it's learning how to be efficient in that it's learning how to be efficient in not letting the kite lose power keeping it at uh, a constant speed you're trying not to use your arms too much with the kite you obviously haven't to hold on but it's those sort of things that are making you efficient and also your navigation as well. So you're not kite skiing 20 kilometers in the wrong direction that you ultimately you're going to have to make back. It's all those little things that you become uh, really efficient at and make you faster and stronger in the long run. So, yeah, that's how I learned to kite ski, essentially. Nice. Sorry, Gibbo. Uh Yeah, you were talking about mind, like, uh, mental, mindset, toughness. mental toughness. And I think this yeah. is going to be really interesting, this bit, and I think – you know, I think Tess, I think being a senior international athlete and then Joe having gone through this, I think this is a really nice conversation that's about to happen. So, yeah, I'm very excited about this. I guess similar to hockey, like that opponent aspect of it, you might be playing at club level and there might be someone within the club scene, a player within your club or another club that you think, wow, they are really good and I'm nervous about taking them on or it's going to be a real challenge. But if you do it a couple of times, you become familiar with it and you understand what the feeling is and how you feel as in, do I feel nervous or how do I not feel nervous now? Because I've faced them a couple of times. You get comfortable with that. Now that's great. But if you stay there and don't push yourself further, that will never feel completely comfortable. And you'll look at the next opponent, which might be a, league level i don't know how it runs in hockey or division three or division two or division one might be right the top team division three that's who i want to take on next or want to be able to take on right 
I understand that. I feel that now. Right, now let's take on Division 2. And that's what it was like for me. It was, right, let's do a week in Scotland um, where our leader, our scout leaders of the ex- the guys who have been to Everest, like Dave, um, who, has he been on the podcast here? Yeah, Dave King did the podcast last yeah, yeah. year. So, yeah. Wow. So Dave King gave me an absolute beasting for a week in Scotland. Me and my team, they were giving us tablets to make us sick. They were getting us jumping off bridges into water. It was almost like SAS Who Dares Wins whilst hiking through the Cairngorms in the Scottish winter just to make us tough and make us realise what it could be like. But then we didn't just settle for that. We went, right, done that. Now let's test ourselves in the Alps. Right, let's go for a long expedition in the Alps. You come back after that, that was tough. And then you think, oh, Scotland was a, that was easy. That there was nothing to worry about compared to what we've just been through. Right. Now let's run three marathons back to back. That was easy compared to running three marathons back to back. <laughs> okay. Let's go for a month in Norway and constantly train. Oh, I don't know if I can do that. I'm going to be like 31 days of constant skin. I'm going to be destroyed. I can't do that. And you're tired and you feel and all the rest of it and then you're like oh that was a doddle oh i've got antarctica next and then you go well if i've done all that then i will be able to cope with that and that but you can never be prepared enough for it because obviously whatever you're reaching towards you know i can only be prepared for antarctica by doing it so next time say if i went to antarctica again i know full well what i'm getting myself in for but there's going to be that point where you cannot prepare yourself enough until you do it but you can prepare yourself like to maybe 90 percent but that last 10 percent is going to be on the day or on the expedition and you know there were so many days sorry to interrupt like test then how does that then relate what you're hearing this as a as an athlete who's preparing for the olympic games and everything else like what's going through your head right now when you're listening to joe saying those things Oh, it's just resonating with kind of like the last two years of experiencing international hockey where you don't think you'll ever be able to play and then you have your debut and then you come back and you're like, oh, I can hold my own here. Um, but then you don't want to just feel like you play. You want to push on and make a difference on the pitch or you, you want to keep advancing. Um, and so it's that comf- when you feel comfortable – it's not a good thing, so you have to keep going on. So that's that's what I what, what I'm hearing. What you said about you just taking like sick sickness pills to like get you out of your headspace and into a completely new place. That's kind of what we try to do um, at hockey when we have like grit days or something. And they'll they'll give cards to people. They'll make people run. You know, you you'll be out of your mind at the coaches, but you've kind of got to realize that they're doing it for a reason rather than getting angry at them. So you have to like level up almost and just say, I've got to, got to deal with it and get through it. Um, that's pretty interesting. I, I wonder my biggest, my least question is sort of, did you feel like you could always do it? Or did you constantly uh, shelf that? No, I, I believed that I could do it, but I had doubts as in, uh, and, and when I was out there, I had serious doubts. They were, they were compounded by actual facts. Like when I'm sat at home, just going to bed, 
and I'm not sleeping for an hour close to the expedition. I'm like, I can do this. I can do this. Oh, well, what if this happens? Well, I'll figure it out when I get out there. Well, I can do it. But when I got out there, I had some serious injuries and some serious setbacks. The weather held us down for days where we couldn't move and jeopardized our expedition. Um, you know, one day, uh, I cried my heart out because I thought I wasn't going to be able to complete because of an injury that was so severe. If it didn't get better, I was going to get pulled out of Antarctica and I've, not wept like that for a while. Like, you know, it, it, the pain was so bad. I, I can't express. I've never been in pain like that before in my life. And I was like, why is it happening now? But I just had to have that attitude of, I can do this and I will do it. And that was instilled within me from the very start and from all the hard times I had been through. So yes, I did feel like I could do it, but there were doubts the whole time. But the, Doubts did not outweigh the thoughts of I could do it. Sorry, on mute. What rookie error? <laughs> Just to kind of add another layer to this, like Joe, you didn't start out as doing this on your own. Like it wasn't like I'm going to do it on my own, and then it was just you all the way through. Like the original expedition looked very different, didn't it? Yeah, it looked very different. Um, like there was eight of us to start with and we knew not all of eight of us could go because it was going to cost 80 grand for one person to go, let alone eight of us. That's almost like a half a million pound expedition. We just knew that wasn't, that was, yes, some people say, well, surely that's possible. I'm like It is possible, but you're slimming down your chances quite a lot. Um, and over the time, people dropped out because they went, oh, actually, I, can't commit to this because my career is going in this direction and that's more important to me. That's absolutely fine. That makes that's very important to a lot of people. Or um, some people went, nah, you know what? 66 days in a tent with you. Nah, it's not my bag of tea. Like we're mates, but I don't think I can have that. <laughs> or um, it's just, well, I, I'm just not enjoying this as much as I thought I might enjoy it. Uh, one of my friends I managed to injure. Well, it wasn't my fault. It was more like, let's ski down here. And I skied down it and I was fine and he wasn't. Um, so he broke his ankle quite badly. Uh, so he couldn't go, which was a real gut. He would have done it. He, was a, he definitely would have done it. Yeah, Matt, my friend Matt is probably more stubborn than me. So I think he would have definitely done it. Um, he's like a Vulcan. He's got no emotion whatsoever. <laughs> so he's just like, ski. Um, but, you know, and that happens in the hockey. I'm sure people get injuries and you're like, oh no, like that is not fair. And it's not, you just can't explain it. Um, so, and yeah, people over time, it just went down to me essentially. And it was like, oh, right. Uh, how's this going to work? And it did. And I still had quite a few of the team members who supported me trying to get the money, who still believed in the mission of like, getting the first scout in the world to go there and come and kite ski back. That, that's what they wanted to happen. And they still support me. And Matt did all my social media whilst I was out in Antarctica as well. Mm. You know, I'd email him every day and he would, it would take me half an hour to send an email. Um, and he would put a really pixelated photo of me in the snow or me doing something out in Antarctica and put a post up for me. Like I was very fortunate to have those friends around me during that time. But yeah, it was very different at the start to what actually happened as well. And um, I didn't go by myself in the end. I went with a guide 
to the pole and back because I couldn't go by myself. And I was quite thankful for not going by myself because I don't think I'd be here right now if I did. Um, I think I would be going to completely do Lally. Um, so yeah, that it was very different from the start. So the question I had when, um, before I put mute myself and started talking on mute, which I do <laughs> is something I'm still not getting better at. Um, so you mentioned some stuff like about, uh, the mental skills aspect and there's probably things that, well, in terms of an environment perspective, you can't expose yourself to the North pole or anything in your training environment. That's going to be just like that or just as tough as that for that period of time. So there is like that element of an unknown, like, do I have this in me type thing? Did you seek out like a mentor or someone that's done something similar or have those conversations with, with somebody else? And like, how did you, how did you go about, that sort of area that you can't specifically train in the way that you're going to be challenged when you get there type kind of thing. Yeah. That's like that 10% I was talking about of like the, the unknown unknown really. You really don't know if you're familiar with Jahari's window or something like that, you know, you've got the known unknown and the unknown known and the, what people see of you and you don't know that it really was the unknown unknown. And (laughs) right. That's what I did was I went round and spoke to, people have been out there leo holding he lent me his kites um because he's a patron of the company i work for uh which is the outbound trust and he uh told me everything he knew and i took a little golden nugget from him spoke to someone else called carl alvey who trained me in norway i took some golden nuggets from him and then i spoke to uh, a couple of other people i just took lots of different golden nuggets from people to, to sort of build up a picture and they were really useful bits of advice that maybe took that 10 cent to 8 percent of unknown. Um, and they helped reassure me. They helped build a better picture for me. Some like Dave as well. He helped give me some context to things and, and also made the whole thing a bit more humanable rather than like seeing these people as like gods of like, wow, they must not ever feel tired or they must not ever struggle or they must feel they must be so skillful in what they do but they actually are human with you and go no i it really sucked one day and it was really hard and i felt like giving up and you're like oh okay well if they feel like that clearly it will be all right if i feel like that as well when it gets to that point but yeah i think it's necessary to speak to people that have been through these the things that you want to go through or have been exposed to the level exposure you want to be you want to go through so it's a necessary part of it and it's it's hard sometimes um people are nervous about talking to them but my big mantra is you don't ask you don't get and it's the same with the money you do, you know you have to ask people what have you got to lose what are they going to say no that's the worst case it's going to happen really mm-hmm. absolute worst case which it isn't did you find yourself referring back to those conversations when it got very tough is yeah the source of sort of strength and ability to overcome stuff yeah, it was. I'm just laughing because um, Carl said to me, oh, wait till you get to Sestrugi National Park. You'll have a hell of a time there. And basically, it's the last 200 nautical miles to the pole. And it's like someone's turned on the fan machine whilst putting huge chunks of ice everywhere that are shaped like daggers. And you're just like, it was not fun in the slightest bit. So I was very much cursing at what he'd said because it was so true. But yeah, there were times where. You, you know, say when I was, um, really struggling, um, 
with I had really bad ingrown toenails basically, which I never had before in my life, and decided to appear when I was skiing. And I was every day cutting them out, piercing them with a hot knife to get all the pus out and everything. It was disgusting. Um, nice. And in absolute agony. And then at the same time, I ruptured uh, my Achilles and my right heel. Um, it wasn't a, we don't know if it was a full tear or not, but when I got back and had a scan, they're like, yeah, you kind of went halfway through your Achilles. So we don't know how you carried on, but it's reattached itself in a very funny way now. And we're like, I was like, okay, we'll just leave it alone. Just fine now. Um, and that was the injury that made me just cry my eyes out because I didn't think it was getting any better. But, you know, uh, loads of people told me about experiences where, like, yeah, I had to pull my toenails out or I had a crap wisdom tooth got infected, I had to pull my tooth out or like I got frostbite in the fingers and I had to manage them, but I was okay. And uh, some people would like, uh, an infection in their stomach or loads of things like that. And you're just like, I really hope that doesn't happen to me, but something happened to me, but I still took from them that they still carried on. They still dealt with it. Unless it was something a lot more extreme. I'm not saying, you know, if you're going to cardiac arrest, you just keep going. That's probably not, <laughs> not the best advice, but yeah. um, they just, I listened to that advice and it did help me in that time. It did make me think, Oh, okay, actually, yeah, I can do this because they've been through it and they're okay. And so can I. Got a question here from uh, Lee Marshall saying, what was the big first big unknown you came across in Antarctica and how did you deal with it? <laughs> the first big unknown. Uh, when you go for a poo and you wipe your bum, don't let go of the toilet roll. <laughs> all over the tents and it just sticks like someone's chucked toilet roll all over your guy ropes with a little bit of poo on them. It's not good. <laughs> No one told me about that. No one. No one told me about that. Because um, obviously you put your tents into the wind. So I was like, right, well, I'll go behind the tents. I'll get some shelter from the wind. But the tents are create a little back eddy. So it just goes up in the air and then just attaches to the front of the tent. So I was like, oh, I just wiped my bum. And that wasn't in the hole. And now it's not. What's going on here? Um, yeah. Anyway, um, what would the other big, big, uh, first hit me? Uh, so there's nowhere else. Uh, it sounds like a cliche, but there is nowhere else like it on the planet. It is so vast and so white. I can't, anyway, I can get you to think about it. It's just imagine you were stood somewhere and there's just white on the floor, white in the sky, no trees, no cars, no buildings, no mountains, no nothing. It was just flat. And you see 20 kilometers and at the end of that day, you stop. And it's still the same as when you left 20 kilometers behind. You can't see what progress you've made. You can't say, oh, I've walked up that mountain. I'm at the top now. And I've, oh, I've come all the way to the bottom. That's where I was. I was at the top there. There's none of that. It's just, well, I could skied in circles for 10 hours and not known any different. All I've got to prove it is a couple of tracks that go on for half a kilometer before I can't see it anymore. I, that was the biggest unknown unknown for me straight away. And that really messed with my head for a bit of just feeling like you were not getting closer to this thing called the pole, which was just a barber pole just pushed in the snow. It could have been anywhere in Antarctica. They could have put it literally anywhere for me, but that was a real headbanger. Really, really hard. I'm just going to put this picture up, which I, I'm not even sure does it justice, but that like, that's what you saw for 65 days 
Like, that is it. Yeah, it's mad. All you've got is like a map that fits, like an A4 map that you're drawing little circles on that you're getting closer to the pole. But you're like, it doesn't feel like it. It, it, You just, you're just skiing into the abyss. You feel so small, so vulnerable to it because there's nowhere to hide, nowhere to tap out. It's very, very bizarre. And there is nowhere else like it on the world other than maybe the North Pole. Um, but certainly on like in other cold environments like Norway or Russia, you will bump into the sea or a tree or a polar bear or something else or another person out there. There isn't any of that. It goes on for thousands of miles. It's mad. Mm. What does the, um, what does the pole look like? It looks like what you expect it to look like. Isn't there Joe? (laughs) Yeah. There is an unfortunate story about this. So, the pole, uh, have you got the photo? You've probably got a photo of me next time. You carry on talking, I'll, I'll yeah. find it. So the pole is like the traditional barber pole, red and white. It's got a blue little disc on it and the silver dome globe on it. Um, but that's not the actual pole. So that's a ceremonial pole. The geographical pole is like 50 metres behind it because that moves every year. Now, there's the pole, red and white, as I said. Um, but I had a bit of an accident. So when we got on the 45th, 45 days after the start, we got to the pole and I was skiing towards it and I had my GoPro and I was on a stick, a selfie stick and I was taking those videos and then I put it on my chest mount and, but it kept falling down because I hadn't done the screw up properly. But at the same time I was skiing towards the pole and the last minute I didn't notice it. I just went smack into the pole. The ball fell off and I put a massive crack down the middle of the pole so you can see that crack down the middle of it and you can see the ball is slightly on the lean that's where I had to whack it back onto its pin and try to screw it down so Christian who was the guide was like how did you hit the only thing in Antarctica and I was like I don't know man I'm really sorry but yes (laughs) that was my accident I had at the pole and you can see all the flags of the Antarctic Treaty around it as well and there's like a base behind it just in the distance so yeah that that's the south pole right there and it was an incredible feeling getting there but it was also like this is just a bit of snow anywhere do you know what i mean it it, it was very (laughs) surreal it was very odd very odd but it's only half the journey so um a lot of people relax and go hey i'm here i'm getting a flight home amazing but for us it was like right we've got to go back and further that's the end of our this was like tag and go back it so it was a it was a really good feeling but it was also like a right stage two now need to get the hell out of here mm. um but yeah that's what it looks like so if anybody ever does go to antarctica and wonders why it's cracked and on the and on the lean that's this guy's fault yeah that yeah i'm hoping they might have repaired it or replaced it by now but i'm not so sure about that Imagine being the person responsible for replacing that. You get a call from head office, and oh god, I've got to go there again. <laughs> Just exactly, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Well, I almost got arrested at the pole. Um, a true story. So um, there's a big American base behind it that's ran all year round, and I was there on the second day. We had a couple of rest days before we started kind of skiing back, and. Um, there was the British flag was up there. And I was like, right, I need to get a photo of me with the British flag. I was trying to put the timer on the camera, but the American flag just kept flapping me in the face. It was really, it's really windy in Antarctica most of the time. 
So I wrapped up the American flag and then it kept on raveling. So I just picked it up and put it on the floor and just forgot about this massive American base out the back. And then like these two guys came out in two skidoos and they were like, sir, what are you doing to our national flag? And I was like, well, I'm British. And they're like, yeah, we can tell that. And I was just like, well, I'll just get the photo of the British flag. Sir, if you don't pick up our flag, we're going to put you in that prison over there. And I was like, oh my God, they really are going to put me in that prison. They had like a gun on the side of them and everything. And they were like, were you the man that broke the pole yesterday? And I was like, nope, that wasn't me. Nothing to do with me. And I said to Christian, we need to go now. Like literally now, like no more rest. We need to get out of here because I'm going to get arrested. So we just went, we just went because he was like, oh, really? You're really good. Like, so yeah, I wasn't in the good books at the polls. So I don't really want to go back just in case that same security guard's there. Um, <laughs> So yeah, that that's what's ha- that happened at the poll. <laughs> that's brilliant. So, what's the next expedition? Are you planning anything, any, anything post COVID? Um, I haven't really found anything that's really tickled the box. That was one of the difficult things when I came back was I really suffered with depression, uh, big time, and wasn't something I was thinking about. I was very blase typical bloke of like oh i won't suffer with mental health i'll be fine like i appreciate people who did suffer but i thought i was invincible no i thought no it won't affect me Uh, i came back and i instantly felt not proud i felt like what a waste of time why did i even do that um i don't want to talk to anybody about it i was in a really bad place saw me through that had conversations with me about that it, it really sucked and i kept comparing everything to antarctica what's the point of me even trying to do this award in my profession of being in the outdoor industry it's not going to be as good as that what's the point in doing another expedition it's not going to be as good as that well i'm never going to reach that golden place again and i spoke to a lot of uh, psychiatrists like a lot of uh, i went to counseling a lot um like at least 20 sessions probably trying to understand why <laughs> I felt that. And that was really hard, especially in terms of like being an athlete when, right, I'll train, this will be the result. Whereas when you can't understand why you feel so terrible within yourself or so upset, it's so frustrating that there's not a quick answer. Um, just like an injury, there's no quick route to sorting it. So it was, it was making me worse until I learned to accept that actually this was part of who I was now and, and that's okay. I wasn't going to be the old Joe. The old Joe is gone. This is the new Joe and I've got to live with that. And, um, you know, my body was destroyed after Antarctica, just so tired. So why would I, and it, it's all full of muscles. So my brain's a muscle. Why did I not expect my brain to be absolutely shattered afterwards? And that's something I didn't appreciate. But I did get a lot better to the point where I am now, where I'm absolutely, I do feel proud of the expedition and I feel great about it. But I know now that after every high, there is usually a massive come down and, and that's totally normal. It does not for everybody, but it is normal. It makes me way more appreciative of that now. Um, and that was something at first I was like, Oh, I think I need to do another expedition. I need to do another expedition. But I was like, no, I need to figure out my own head first and be comfortable before I think about another expedition or something big. I don't want to just cover the hole with another expedition, if that makes sense of like, Oh, I won't go dwell into my own thoughts and feelings. I need, I'll go do something else. I wanted to figure that out before doing that. Uh, so 
And also, COVID's happened. People are going to be a lot tighter with their funding, which is totally understandable. I kind of got in at the right time in terms of sponsorship. So I'm not thinking of anything in the immediate future yet. Um, There are some things that are tickling my brain, but I probably need to keep them to myself at the moment because it's probably not a sane thought I should probably say out loud because someone will probably get, what on earth are you on about? Um, I mean, we've done some ideas around for not exhibitions, but challenges and stuff but i think that's really as far as you you know having had conversations with you that's kind of where your limit is at the moment in terms of just having getting back into doing those kinds of things because you did so many challenges as preparation like you said three marathon three days the ultra the marathon the tire like 150 climbs in 24 hours like you've done a lot of challenges so actually i think it's almost getting back into that habit isn't it from conversations that we've had yeah 100 100 and just finding something that you enjoy again you know when you do something to death that much sometimes you're like whoa i need a bit of time out from this um mm-hmm. for some people that's the way it is um and then they rekindle that love for it or and it's not uh when a job becomes a passion, sometimes that's too much for individuals. Sometimes it's not. But for me, it was a bit like, well, I just need a little bit of time out now and restoke the fire before I just go full pelt and add some petrol onto it, if that makes sense. You're going to be uh, the phone call for the next explorer, though. So the next person embarking on their wild journey, hopefully they're going to come to you and you'll be paying it forward. Like exactly. You called as well. That'll be another chapter. Yeah, and that's already happened. A couple of conversations I've had with people I met with a young lad in Scotland last year when I was out there winter climbing, and he was think he wanted to go to the South Pole, and I, it felt nice being on the other side of the table, the other side of the phone call. I was like, ah, oh, yeah, I am that person that's been there, and he's looking at me in the same way. Um, and it, yeah, it was really satisfying. So you're right, that's already started that journey, and that is great, and and that's what I'm trying to remind myself of. It's like, all oh, right, actually, yeah, you did do that. And it was mental. Um, and that's such a good thing to share. And that was the whole point of it, really, was to show young people what they can do, you know, when you put your mind some, towards something. That was the main point. That's what I do for a job uh, in my uh, every other bar COVID. Um, so that's the whole driving behind it, not for me to go and do it. I didn't do it to become an Instagram star or become a sponsored athlete. That There's no interest in that for me at all. It's about inspiring the next generation because that's what, Dave King, the guy climbed Mount Everest, did me. He inspired me to go and do what I did. So I'm hoping if at least one person gets inspired from me, that's mission accomplished. That's really cool. Um, Tess, have you got, I've got kind of got time for three questions. I've got two on here. Uh, and then, Tess, if you want to ask like, one more question, if you've got one for Joe. No, I, I'm just in awe. <laughs> I'm a, I'm, I've, I've written loads of notes, written about mindset, so I'm looking forward to actioning them. I was going to say, Leah, you said uh, about when you get comfortable. I think it's where surviving then turns into performing. That was something that was important to me. was like, right, I've got to survive this trip to the Alps. But then the next stage for me was like, right, I survived it, held my own. Now I need to perform in it. And that was something that I kept saying was, okay, let's just run a, a marathon. Because I was at one point I was running marathons every other day or something. But the first one, it's like, 
I got through that, but I'm bruised and battered and, and got blisters and whatever, but I survived it. And then it was a stage of, right, now let's perform in these marathons where I can run them comfortably. I'm not running super fast, but I'm comfortable. I can, I've not got any blisters. I felt fine the next day. Yeah, I'm a little bit achy, but I'm not like sprained or strained. So I know I'm performing and I took that to being on an expedition. If that makes sense as well. So I think it's relatable to hockey as well in a lot of ways, like you were saying about your games in terms of holding your own and then wanting to contribute to the team. Mm. Um, so I've got a, a question on Instagram. Uh, does Harge make a person stronger? Uh, if so, at what point is too much? And is there a is there a too much? Can you say that question again? So you broke up with it there. So uh, does hardship make a person stronger? Uh, and if so, at what point is too much? I think when you become out of touch of your emotions is when it's too much. So, you know, if you are, but it's all an individual thing. You know, like we're all individuals and we all go through hardship in different ways. So one person's hardship might be another person's annihilation or one person's hardship is that's not too difficult for me. So I think it's it's all individualized to start with. But, you know, I think if you are going through so much hardship that you it becomes so black and white to you, whatever you're doing, that there's no emotion entangled in it, even on a small level. I think that's where hardship becomes too much and it's just suffering and it's just not fun. Then, you know, it's just like a turn up to your job and do it. You, you, you'd almost go f- through the task or challenge that you're doing and not soak up what's around you, which is one of the biggest mistakes I had because at some point during the start, of the expedition, I was doing that. I was treating it like a process of like, right, I've done five days. I've got like, I've got 40 more days to go. Right, come on, let's do another five days, another five days, which is helpful. But there were some days where I was like, oh, I'm just skiing. I'm not even absorbing what's going on here. And I had to work on myself. And I think that's where if you push yourself too much or make yourself that mentally strong, that it's just a get up and go process. You won't enjoy the process and you'll be like, uh, the, the expedition, the experience. You'll be like, well, why did I do that? Do you know what I mean? I think that's probably what I think. People forget to look out the window. Yeah, <laughs> and I... it's no good winning a hockey match and then not being excited at the end, is it? What was the point? You know. Yeah, uh, yeah. I think that's such a huge relatable. I think you saying that. I think there'll be a lot of people who listen to this back and be like, "Oh yeah, that makes sense." I think that's that's a big nugget. Um, and final one, Benno. Uh, could you let your mind wander whilst you were on a long stretch and did that help? Uh, yeah. So if I wasn't navigating, I could, so I could, and don't forget, right. I could call my girlfriend every five days for five minutes. Um, and I could send an email, two emails a day. That was it. So I had very little contact with the outside world. The only stimulation I had was my, iPod and some bagpipe music my dad had annoyingly put on there which when the shuffle mode freezes you can't change very frustrating um and no 4g or anything like that you have to let your mind wander so i would ski maybe two hours at the front two hours at the back two hours at the front two hours at the back two hours at the front you had to be focusing otherwise you could mess up where you're going and stuff like that and you know i was thinking about 
what Theresa May was doing, how Brexit was going, just thinking, oh, I wonder where they sort oh, that out. Then. <laughs> I was thinking about everything from like running as prime minister to what I would do with my pension when I get old and, you know, just thinking about fish fingers and things that I really wanted <laughs> to enjoy, you know, loads of stuff. Yeah, I did let my mind wander um when i was skiing you had to and because otherwise you go absolutely mental if you kept um just looking at the snow you know at some points i was making animals out of the snow i was just i was doing anything to occupy myself and it massively helped um but there's some days where no matter what you're thinking about it's just a really tough day and it just sucks and you just got to accept that that some days you know it's just not a good day today and i've just got to get through it Big time. Um, guys, that's nearly an hour has absolutely rocketed by. Um, I think we're going to finish there, but Joe, definitely want to get you back. Uh, I think that having known, known the stories and knows that like we've literally touched the tip of the iceberg on this and there is, there's no, just so much more. Um, and yeah, I think it'd be really cool to, to have a follow-up maybe and i think i think there's some really cool stuff to go into um but yeah i just want to say thank you for coming on about time long enough to get on uh so glad we finally did it no great meeting you too as well uh so i won't say thank you to mike because uh, he's my friend so i never say thank <laughs> you to him thank you for you too uh it was really good and your questions were really good it's nice to uh, get some questions that get me thinking rather than did you see a polar bear which absolutely infuriates me when I get asked that uh, being because they don't even live there exactly um, so yeah it was <laughs> great having your questions they got me thinking as well which is nice thinking about it from a different perspective thank you oh, it's been, it's been been wonderful meeting you oh, you too cool well as always, this is going to be up on uh, YouTube. It'll be accessible on the Facebook page and it will go on the uh, various iTunes, Spotify podcasts and stuff afterwards as well. So thank you all, uh, Tex, Gibbo, as always, your legends. Thank you very much, Joe. Thank you very much. And uh, yeah, cannot wait to see you all very soon. Bye.